Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin, and I'm so excited for you to be here today. Our guest today is Ishmael Ray Reyes. Now, Ishmael, or as we know him as Ray, um, has actively been investing in residential real estate since 2005 and has focused exclusively on multifamily real estate since 2016. He's also the founder and managing partner of the Admiral Group and MI Real Estate and has led investment firms in the acquisition of 14 multifamily properties totaling over 900 units and valued over $100 million. Ray also provides independent consulting to multifamily investors and is the host of the Greater Central Florida Multifamily Investors Virtual Meeting and is the best-selling author of Bluff, the bottom line upfront about passive investing and multifamily opportunities. Ray, thanks for being on the show. Uh, My pleasure, Johnny. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. So, Ray, let's uh, give the listeners today a little bit about you, your background, who you are, and how'd you get to where you are today? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I I, um, I did 28 years in the military, retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, but even as a child, as I was kind of doing my, uh, you know, before, I, you know, my formative years, I always had kind of multifamily in my, in my sights. Uh, Monopoly was the game that I played and loved. Um, and uh, it was just a matter of time. And and it was great to make that transition. I learned a lot uh, and I enjoyed my time in the military. I enjoyed serving something bigger than myself. Uh, and then it was just time. It was time to, to do something else. And I saw uh, this opportunity to, to really build, you know, uh, generational wealth for my family, uh, my extended family, my mother, um, and, and then also bring that opportunity to others because there is a path that I wish I would have known a lot sooner that even as I was working full time in the military and deployed overseas, that I could have been doing this passively and really building uh, some wealth in in the process. So, yeah, I I think uh, I think that kind of sums it up. It's just my life has always been about serving. And I feel like now I'm serving I'm serving my family and serving others and helping them grow their wealth Uh, because, you know, we can't help others if we're broke. That's just the bottom line. That's great. That's great. And thank you for your service. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how you were able to use your military background and experience, things that you've dealt with, I'm sure, in many high pressure situations. You know, tell me about how you were able to translate that into entrepreneurship and real estate. Sure. I mean, I, I guess first and foremost, um, you, you are from the very beginning as a leader in the military, you're you're exposed to being in front of people, uh, either leading or if not leading, at least following in a way that supports whatever the mission is. And to me, that's always been like critical when, when you're working in this type of environment where you're partnering with others, you're either leading a group or you are following, you know, in a, in a positive way, somebody who's in charge. And following doesn't mean you're just a yes man. Following means that you provide input and sometimes you dis- disagree and you provide other uh, other ways of potentially doing that. That's how you add value. 
And any leader that just wants people to listen and, and basically nod their heads yet north and south is not really leading. And his people aren't giving him the best advice, his or her people. So I think all of those those things in, in very general terms translates well to this kind of business where while we, we may not be serving, uh, uh, you know, a mission of, you know, of, of, of importance or, you know, nationally important, you still have to lead a group. And there are ways to do that properly if you're in charge. And there are ways to do that if you're following someone else who's in charge. Yeah. Leadership is all about leading from the front. And in my roles from being in the sports space, you know, I've always been the person to be in the front, the person to not necessarily give direction on what to do, but show how it's done. I think, you know, in this specific space of entrepreneurship, especially when you're building your business, when you're building teams, you know, although you might have a vision and you want to relay that to your specific team members of how you want things to be done, it's always better when you're able to show them that, hey, you're, you're willing to uh, get your hands dirty. You're willing to take on the task that you may not want to, but it's part of the greater cause to get to the next level. So in this space, real estate, multifamily specifically, syndications where it's a ton of different moving parts in this business, you have to know how to be a leader, but also a great leader, a proficient leader, someone who's willing to lead in the front. So what was that scaling pattern from getting to $100 million in real estate? You know, transitioning from the military to $100 million, a lot of our listeners might be thinking, man, that's that must have been a lot of work. You know, that must have been a lot of nights of heartaches, struggles. Take me through your first deal to $100 million in real estate. Yeah, my, my first deal was actually, I just come back from, I was still on active duty uh, and I'd done a couple of deals as a passive investor um, and and understood, I wanted to make sure I understood multifamily before I jumped in it on, on the active side. And uh, because I did a lot of single family investment in my career and I had built up a little bit of a portfolio of just single family, but it's just not scalable. And it's, this is what you're talking about, how to, how to scale. So I learned you know, how, you know, the different language, it's a little bit different language. You underwrite, analyze a little bit different, if you will. And then I jumped in uh, before I even did my, my my final retirement. I remember I was in Miami working at the United States Southern Command. And, um, you know, we were in the middle of, of my first raise and we were, we had a deal and I was trying to bring in some capital. And it was funny because that was the moment that I decided that I had to retire because Essentially, I was trying to raise capital for a, an acquisition. This was a 59 unit, and we were, uh, that I was doing in uh, in Tampa, and and I couldn't get on the phone to talk to people. Um, I could, you know, if I had to go to the phone, I had to get, leave the building with a secure facility to be able to get on my personal cell phone to do that. It just was not conducive, and I had to make that decision uh, to if that I was gonna if I was gonna embrace this that I needed to go full time. And, uh, and so, sure enough, sh- shortly after that. I retired out of the military. Uh, you know, I got some time. They normally give us, you know, six months to kind of get organized after 20 plus year career to kind of get ready for our next steps. And and my step was clear. It's how to, first of all, continue on this deal to, to make sure that that I was a, a viable partner in that deal and then move forward from there. And so after that first 56 units, uh, you know, they say they say it gets easier um, at, when you build to momentum. And, and that's true. 
uh, it does get a little bit easier. And so what happens is you do one deal, whether you're or you whether you led the deal or whether you were a primarily coming in to you know to supplement the the, the original finder of that deal as a, as a general partner and and other opportunities open up and people start reaching out um, and then the more the more uh, money and the more experience and the more that you can bring the bear into these deals the better your your opportunities to to, to participate in more of them right and so yeah. my my concern was actually not not actually scaling to 100 million which is kind of where I'm at, I'm at today it was doing it in a way that was not uh reckless because i think in this mm-hmm. business it's that's not a that's you know 100 million dollars is essentially about five or six properties right five or six seven solid properties and if you partner on those properties you can get to that number pretty quick because we're because of the scale involved but i think where where you have to be careful when you when you're doing your businesses okay it's not about find getting to 100 million. How do you get to the next deal, and how do you build your team and build your business so that you are fulfilling the promise to your investors? In our case, that is our primary responsibility: is to ensure that that our investors get what we tell them they're going to get. And, and these are estimates, but we normally underestimate so that we can over deliver. And so. So a lot of people will will get into this business of multifamily and they start finding deals and getting into a lot of deals. And before you know it, the the tail becomes an issue because they can't they can't deliver on what on the deals on the operational side, on the execution side of deals that they have and are constantly chasing new deals. So for me, it was not so much, you know, can I get to, you know, a a thousand doors, you know, know, or or higher. It's like. How do I do this in an incremental way so that I so that I continue to deliver the value that I want to deliver? And I think it may be different because that, that approach is different uh, because of where I am in my life than, than other people. I'm in a position where, you know, and this is not to brag, but because of my investments and because of my retirement, I really don't have to work. I mean, I, I'm not rich. You know, I, you know, obviously, I've, I've been growing my wealth and helping others do the same, but I'm you know, I'm not rich. Uh, but I can stop, and I and I and I would live comfortably. So for me, that's not the the end goal. If you're a young person though, and you still have children that you you know that are that are going to school, and uh, and and all of these responsibilities that come along with that, and you don't you have a W two job that you may quit in order to do this full time, you may have a different vision of of uh, an an urgency to getting that next deal, and sometimes. That urgency means getting into bad deals uh, that that don't necessarily deliver for investors. So I'm I'm able to kind of do this in an incremental way versus just you know this 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 notion and nothing wrong with people that want to talk about 10x. But at the end of the day, 10x in a way that you can continue to deliver on on what on the promises that you've made. Man, I, I want to put a pin in that right there because that I wish you could drop a mic on a podcast <laughs> because what you just said. What, there's so many lessons in what you just said. So I'm going to, there, there are two things that that I think I, I want to kind of dive into. The first part is scaling in a way that's smart and is efficient business-wise, especially when you talk about for your investors as well too, right? Because they are, the capital is the most important part of real estate private equity. You know, I don't, people, people might say the deal is, if you have the you 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 need the money to buy the deal at the end of the day. 
And if your investors are not taken care of, if they are not, if they don't feel like they had a good experience with you, they are likely not going to invest with you moving forward. You were smart enough to realize that I want to do more and more deals, but it's the administrative part of things that takes a lot of time, but is also important as well too, right? And that might come down to investing in a portal where you can have your investors in and they can see all the documents, or that might come down to putting out email blasts, right? Letting your investors know, hey, this is what is going on with your investment. Um, all sorts of different things that people don't talk about in the specific space of real estate private equity that is important to do early when you're scaling to the level that you have scaled, right? Because it's easy to see things on Instagram where this person owns 100 million or this person owns 500 or you know so on and so forth. But are they really good operationally too, right? Asset management is another beast that people have no clue about when they get into the multifamily space or the commercial real estate space. You know, it's a lot of work in asset management. And so understanding that upfront and having a plan for that upfront, whether it's outsourcing that to a partner or hiring someone, maybe it might be a virtual assistant. It might be hiring an analyst to underwrite deals because you still have to get that deal flow coming in too, right? What's the thing, right? It's a hundred deals to offer on 10 to get one. Somebody has to underwrite a hundred of those deals. So just your wisdom on that is so, so important for people who are getting into real estate, private equity. You want to have this holistic vision of how you want your business to run because it's easy in this business to have the business run you after you've done a multitude of deals. Now, Yannick, the, the secret to the first deal, because I, I think a lot of people, once you once you do one and you kind of it opens up to your your eyes as to how you can do. I mean, it's like the light bulb goes up like, oh, my goodness, this is how it works. Right. And you learn and you, and you learn as you go. But after that first one, you can really build some momentum. But I think a lot of people make the mistake of wanting to do it all on their first deal. So you want to go, you want to find a deal, you want to negotiate with the broker, you want to, you know, talk to insurance, you want to, you know, uh, you know, work the taxes, do the underwriting, you know, invest really. And like, that's just too much. These are too big. These are too big. This is not a single family acquisition where you can kind of do that on your own. You have to have a team in place. And so what I recommend is as you're looking for your deal, you know, maybe your first deal that you run. Find someone else that is doing deals that still is trying to plug a hole in their team and figure out if, if you can plug that hole. Talk to them about what you can bring value, what value you can bring to them and get into a deal that way. Get your foot in the door that way. You'll get into your first deal a lot sooner. And what you also do is you start building your network a lot sooner because now you have access to the network that that group has that that greater group so it's like it's i call it the foot in the door technique you know you, you get your foot in the door on the deal however bring some capital to the table some risk capital you know uh you know whatever it is that that you are good at underwriting if you're the you're a great underwriter underwrite the deals for them for free say hey and then and then get them to work with you bring you on on board on their team and then all of a sudden you're in that deal and then while you build that as a partner, you can decide whether you want to continue to partner with that group 
or if you want to kind of, you know, basically break away and do your own, but you're not waiting because a lot of people get frustrated. They want to find the deal and do all this stuff and they never get there because it's just too hard to do by yourself. That is one of the the headaches and the crashes that I ran into when getting into this business was I had the professional athletes mentality of like, I'm going to do all by myself. I've I got to this place by myself. Everything can be on me. But six to 12 months later, I'm just shaking my head in agony like, man, this is a lot of work. I wish someone would have told me earlier. I want to touch on the second thing that you said, which was really important too, specifically when getting into the world of real estate, private equity. Right. You touched on being in a position where you don't have to get into bad deals and you're not necessarily chasing deals. Right. Having that flexibility on your own side financially to be more selective. Maybe it might be in your partnership. It might be in the deals that you acquire. Dive into that a little bit more about it. just making sure that you have a plan financially too in real estate, private equity. So for me, I leverage my personal portfolio of single family investing to have that cash flow to sustain, you know, my lifestyle, right? To to pay the bills, et cetera, keep the business moving. But then also was able to transition into private equity as well. So so talk about the importance of like having that good base because a lot of people when they get into or they want to get into private equity, they might have been in the single family space. And they might have been in the fix and flip space and and that business is transactional. But the world of private equity, these deals take maybe three to five years. It's a long time before getting that big payout. Right. So the in-between is extremely important. Give us a little bit more wisdom on that part. You know why it's important to have that foundational base to sustain yourself as well. Yeah, no, it's 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 very important that that and, and I and I when people call me and, you know, I essentially I can I have an open door policy if you want on, on my calendar. I can talk to anybody about this stuff. If I have the time and, and I got nothing going, I'll talk to people. And I get young folks, especially that want to talk to me. And you know, and one of the things that I tell them to that particular point is like, listen, you have to measure out what are the responsibilities you have in your life. Uh, do you have kids? Uh, do you have, uh, uh, you know, maybe you're taking care of, you're helping taking care of parents or you know, there's all kinds of scenarios where, you know, there is a responsibility that's going to require monetary support uh, to to do. And so if that's the case, then you have to you've got to have to figure that out first, I think, and have a solution for that uh, before you, you look to, you know, jump into these things, because real estate is not get rich quick. You invest in real estate and you wait. And in a couple of years, two, three years, like you said, all of a sudden, you've really made some traction, but have to you have to have some either money set aside or you have to have a budget uh, by which you can you know live and not be stressed out with your life so that you can do this business. And so, if you're young and you're by yourself, maybe you can sleep in a car, you know, sleep in somebody's house. You can house hack. You can do all kinds of stuff that are that are and, and then really focus your entire world. On 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 uh, on spinning up and getting this thing going quickly, and you just you suffer by yourself because you have a goal in mind, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean that that is how people ten x you you live on rice and beans, so you so to speak, and 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 you just you just crank it to another level. But if you have responsibilities and you have family, then you you have to take that into consideration. Now, if your if your wife is in it with you or your your spouse, if you you know depending on you know who, who we're talking about here. They're in the game with you completely and they're willing to suffer just like you 
for the bigger you know gains in the future, perfect. But I tell you one thing: when I was when I was in the military, I wanted to buy a quad. I always, you know, what this is the this is my first step in getting into multifamily. I'm gonna buy a fourplex, and I'm gonna live in one 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 unit, and I'm gonna rent the other three. And every time I tried to pitch that to my wife, she said, "Not just no, but hell no," because I was always gone. So. So, I mean, and, and where are your quads? They're not going to be in, in nice neighborhoods. They're usually in places where it's working class. And so she's like, no, you're gone nine months out of the year and you want me to live there and be, no. So it, it didn't work. So those those things have to be accounted for first. Get that figured out and then work on that next. And, and you may have to do, like, you may have to start small. Uh, you know, some of these deals on, on the multifamily space, you need $25,000, $50,000. But guess what? There is a way where you can partner. You can create a joint venture with a, a smaller group of like-minded individuals, and you guys can all put in 5K and get into one together as a group. We do that all the time. We joint venture into multifamily deals uh, because you you can leverage more in, in a group. And so that's all. Those are all kind of little tricks that you can do to kind of get there a little bit sooner if you if you just don't have the wherewithal by yourself. But always, always, always take into consideration. Uh, your personal situation, because if not, then you start getting into bad deals because you're chasing. We call it an acquisition fee in multifamily. You get, you know, for the work that we do, we normally get a two percent or three percent acquisition fee on on the deal, and that that sounds great. It's very much like a, a real estate agent that gets three percent, two percent on when they sell a house. the The difference is if you if you're chasing bad deals, you get that acquisition fee, and it and, if, and it's good. It gets you going. But if it's a bad deal, you probably will never do another deal, and you you essentially burn yourself uh, for the long term because you want you for a short term gain. So you just have to be careful. Yeah, man, I know that your clients who you consult with in the multifamily space get a ton of value from you because there's so much wisdom in a lot that you just said, especially when we talk about having that financial base. I mean, I know that your clients are getting a ton of wisdom. So. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. Let's switch gears here. What types of deals are you currently investing in? You know, what markets are you investing in? And, you know, how did you kind of develop those partnerships to to um, invest in those opportunities as well? Yeah, so I I, I, I love the Sunbelt. I mean, I'm in Orlando, Florida, um, but, uh, you know, Florida, for a lot of reasons that I that I go into my website and, and on social media, it's just a great place to invest. The things that I look for in a market, they're pretty, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. But at the very base level, there's there's really three things uh, you want to look for population growth. You want to look for economic growth. And closely related to that is you want to see what the unemployment uh, you know, trends are, whether they're going up or down. Um, economic and economic, uh, economic and unemployment are, are are similar, but they don't always run at the same you know cycle. 
So you have to pay attention to both to make sure that things are trending in the right direction. So if you look at those three things and then you pay attention to the other part, which is the risk aspect of it, you, you want to pay attention to what is the political risk in that state? How business friendly are they in that state? Is there state taxes? And you look, start looking at those things. And then at the micro level, um, you know, what, what does the crime look like in the places where you, you're potentially looking to invest? So now you that you zero in on a metro or a county, then you got to start looking at those other aspects and, and realize that there are, you know, in some places, you know, it's not a clear, it's not a clear line between a, a good area and a bad area. So you really have to understand it. But so all those things are, you know, you, you, I call it the big three plus, you know, minus R, which is the risk. So you take a look at that, the big risk and, the, and then the micro risk. And then you weigh those other things. And that's kind of how I, I, I drive down on my markets. Texas and Florida are, are fantastic. You know, they don't have state taxes. Um, and, you know, it doesn't take a year to evict a tenant. And, and nothing against, you know, I, I'm, and, and I always, people always, when I say stuff like that, they go, wow, this guy's, you know, re- really against tenants. No, I'm not against tenants. But my investors uh, invested with me and they want a reasonable return. So I can't le- let tenants live for free for a year. Uh, in a property where I have to deliver to investors. So there has to be some some balance there. And in some states, there's no balance. I mean, California, you know, a squatter can sit in a place for a year and you're you're done. You're stuck. In New York, the same, you know, there's 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 all kinds of protections for for folks that you know really are not generating income and, and creating uh you know uh economic uh I guess, uh, driving the economy of, of those locations, they're just depressing things even more. So in Texas and Florida, you know, within three months, you know, if, if, if a tenant is not paying, you can evict the tenant. I mean, reasonably so, right? You're not going to do anything crazy, but at the same time, six months later, it's hard to make a profit that way. Um, and so, so those are the things I look for. And then as far as partnerships, the way that I started was I I realized because like you I had a single family portfolio I, I kind of knew how to analyze how to get into a deal so I figured out which which markets I wanted to to be involved in based on my criteria and my analysis and then based on that then I started going out to conferences where there were multi-family conferences where there were operators that were operating uh, operators that were there attending and I would just go up to them and I'd say hi this you this is me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, here's where I'm at. This is how much capital I can bring to bear. Or if, if in somebody else's case, I can underwrite, I can, whatever it was, I was presenting those, what, what I could bring to them. Because if you're getting started, you don't, you're not gonna, you're not selling, you're not, you're not giving them anything. They're, they're already there. You're trying to get in. So you have to, you have to present something that's valuable to them. And so that's how I, I just essentially, once I realized what operators were operating in a space that I wanted to invest in, then I then I then I pursued those, uh, and and I was successful on a, on a couple. And all it takes is one or two, uh, and and then when when you start working with them and they see your commitment, then that will grow into more deals because nobody's in the space to just invest in one multifamily. If they're successful and they're able to win and deliver for investors there's going to be another opportunity. Brokers don't want people that are kicking tires. Brokers want operators that buy, <laughs> that are able to deliver because they make their money on the sale. So if, you, if you've got a, you know people that, that never do a deal, brokers will never reach out to them with the good ones and you'll never get there. So, yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to, to finding partnerships too, 
it has to definitely be a level of due diligence, I think, as well, right? And a lot of times people kind of skip over that and, and invest in other people's deals. You know, is there like a due diligence process that you have when vetting operators, um, whether it's, you know, looking at their portfolio, asking them, you know, how successful they have been in other projects? You know, what does that due diligence process look like for you? Yeah, no, and that, that's, a, that's a very, very interesting topic because it, it's something that you do have to consider especially if you are looking at partnering with others on their deals, right? So, so there's a lot of ways to do it. There are some paid services out there that essentially very similar to like when you have a tenant that, that is trying to, you know, apply for one of your units, there is a place you can go where you provide some information, basic information, and they'll do some search. They'll do a search for you and talk to you about that. You know, they'll, they'll, all their businesses can show up um, and, and you can pay for that. But even in nowadays, you can you can probably just you know ask them, okay, what what are your other properties, and then and then ask them for some references based off of that. Uh, ask for some investor references and just Google them, Google their businesses, see what's out there. You'd be surprised. I actually we were looking at a deal one time, and I just happened to type the guy, the person's name, and the person was involved in a lawsuit. Uh, now, good, bad, or indifferent, I mean, you can go into that. Maybe there's, you know, you do this business long enough, eventually there's going to be some legal things that happen, but at least there's a flag for you to follow up on. Uh, and if they if they're, if they're they can't present to you, you know, what's going on um, in, in, a, in a sound way, or they, they just didn't tell you, then that definitely is a flag. So there, there's a lot of ways. The other thing is, the more you start working in the space, and you know, Yannick, this is, this is a small world. Um, and Eventually, people will know you. Uh, and if you've done something that is untoward, eventually, if you ask a few people, you're only one or two connections away from someone being able to say, yeah, I, I work with that guy uh, or gal. And and my recommendation is that you do or you don't. That's up to you. A lot of times they may not even tell you that to say, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't work with them or I haven't worked with them and, and I wouldn't want to work with them. And they, they won't tell you anything else, but they'll give you an inclination somehow that there's something there. And you got to pay attention to that. You got to pay attention to that because you know it could it could be something uh, that that there's more there. So you start digging a little bit. I'll say that the most important thing is a lot of times in these partnerships. Uh, I always tell when I when I'm working with people, whether I'm the lead sponsor or not, I present all of the documents to them, all the documents, and I always tell them, do your legal search, do your you know search everything, work with an attorney. And, and have them review all of these documents to make sure that your interest and is, is protected, right? And, and, uh, and if you have a question about me, I'm happy to provide whatever you want. Transparency is where I think there's, you know, the, 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 the line is drawn. There's a lot of folks out there, unfortunately, in this business that somehow they believe that when there's bad news, it gets better with time. <laughs> and I guess that's a, that's a, that's something I learned in the military. Maybe there are other other places also. There's there's that teaching, but essentially, bad news is something you have to address asap, and you have to tell people about asap. But you do it in a way where you can give them what you're doing to fix it. So let's just say you have a plumbing issue, a huge plumbing issue in the property. It was unanticipated. Um, well, it, it happens, and it may impact you know some of the some of the distributions for a particular quarter, because now you got to take some money. If you, if you didn't anticipate it and you didn't have operational reserves, now you have to deal with that problem. But okay, so at some point, investors are going to know that you didn't provide a distribution. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. So, so why wait? Tell them what happened, you know, give them pictures, show them, 
give them as much information and tell them what you're doing to fix that. Here's what we did. Uh, here's what we're doing. And we're going to get this, this ship right at ASAP. And, and they'll appreciate that because a lot of investors have gone the route of single family and nobody's ever had a single family. Nobody out there that has done single family has never uh, not dealt with an issue with toilets, roofs. It, it, it just happens. That's part of the business. But you can't tell investors that. You know, you can't not tell them that. You have to tell them. And then if you're dealing with partners, the last thing you want is having information, having different levels of partnerships where, you know, only two or three partners get all the details and then everyone else is kind of left out in the dark. Uh, and and, I, and I, I try to flatten that out. I want all of the people that are that are partners in the deal to know all of the pertinent information because either they either they want to know or maybe they maybe they're not paying attention. And all of a sudden, an investor asks, uh, one of their investor asks, and they can just look at the emails and they can see, okay, this is what what was happening there. But they've got the information, and so um, yeah, start asking about transparency. Start talking about what kind of reports their investors get, and ask your investors, did you actually get reporting? And you'll be able to you know sort sort out some of these operators that aren't aren't again for whatever reason they're they're going after other deals and they're forgetting about current operations which is critical in, in, in this business so many gems and and what you just said there in this business relationships are all about transparency and communication you know from the from the top down right between partnerships there are a lot of times like you said things are going to happen on different properties and being able to have that first level communication transparently with your partners really important because you have to like you said relay that information to your investors my investors they we've had problems on our deals right we're, we're no different from other folks but we over communicate you know before it before it happens as it happens you know through 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 the end my investors honestly don't communicate with me <laughs> you know only if they really have a question maybe it's about like their k1s but that's just a testament to the level of communication because they're busy professionals. They're out with their families. They just want to return and some tax benefits, <laughs> you know? And if you are able to establish that communication on the investor level in a seamless way, and like I said, transparently, I mean, they're going to love you for that. Right. And also on the top level, like I mentioned, you know, having that first level communication when things go bad, that's really important when it comes to vetting your partners and just having a good experience in real estate, right? Absolutely. Let's um let's dive into the capital raising side for the deals that you've done within your portfolio. How are you able to to raise capital for these deals and what capital raising strategies have you found most effective in your real estate journey today? Great question, because there's obviously you mentioned there's two sides of these. There's the acquisition side of the asset and then it's bringing capital to bear. And, and, and one doesn't work without the other. And frankly, if you've got the capital, you can probably find a deal. Right. I mean, you have the money sitting there. There's a chance you can go, you know, go to someone and say, hey, I can close tomorrow. If I had a hundred million dollars and I went to a meetup and I said, I got a hundred million dollars and I just need some deals, I guarantee I'd have <laughs> Absolutely. I think the biggest deal on the raising capital side is you have to have uh, a platform. Um, and, uh, you know, the, by a platform, I mean, is people have to know who you are, because essentially uh, in today's age, yes, you can have a small group of investors of very high net worth, high money people. 
but in, for example, for me, a military man, uh, you know, that, you know, that's not where I came from. Most of us aren't rich. I mean, when you join the military, even our officers, I mean, we were well, we were well paid, but we're not rich. And so, so you have to know that, um, that, that you're not going to make it by with just a few. And, and even if you did, even if you had $10 million from one investor, the minute you commit that money, it's, it's tied up in a deal for maybe, you know, two, three years, maybe up to five years. What do you do if you, if you don't have any other way to generate capital? So you have to have a platform that, that, that can bring others along to you. And if you do it right, so what I did is the first thing and foremost, I wanted the people to, to know, okay, my military background, I wanted them to know a little bit about my story and then explain to them, you know, how I was able to, to, to get to where I am. So I'm building a, at least, you know, people can see where I came from. They, that in, in and of itself uh, creates some level of trust uh, that, that they can see, okay, this guy is, you know, he's served in the military. And in my case, when we start talking to people, for example, I, I know uh, probably more people know about clearances nowadays than they've ever known before, but I had a top secret clearance. I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, do much without the government trying to figure out what I was doing if something was, you know, I was doing something wrong. And so when, when, when I'm able to talk, talk to people about that, that automatically builds a, a level of trust. The other thing is, once you have a personal, you know, uh, some people have at least a personal level of trust, you have to also provide something that tells people that you know what the heck you're talking about in multifamily. Because I may have been the best officer in the military. That doesn't mean I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this other business, right, or this other job. And so, so you have to talk about your experience, what you've done. Uh, yeah, you, you, you put it in a way that, that people can understand. Uh, and then you, be, you become a subject matter expert by providing value to them, whether it's like me, I wrote a book, I wrote, a, I wrote blogs, um, I, I'm on social media provide, trying to provide some content. When I see something that's pertinent, I'll put it out there and I'll give my, my opinion on, on what's out there. And so all of these things, my website, uh, they're all ways, uh, they're all parts of a platform. And it's a platform that allows people to find you to, 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 to find you, to trust you to some level and to take you to really begin that journey of like, okay, how do I go from what I know about this individual to investing in a deal? So uh, it all kind of goes to, okay, get a hold of me. Let's talk. And then I can talk to you about, you know, this stuff in, in very general terms. And if you're interested, uh, then, then great. And then I'll start sending you my deals. And and I'll talk to them about how they work. So then when we actually have a live deal, it's not a matter of them understanding the process. It's a matter of them understanding that particular deal. So you do this even if you don't have a deal already in, in front of you because you want to educate them about the process. Um, and so those, those things are all important. Uh, they, you need to appear, and it's not an appearance. You need to be professional. And professional means, it used to be a, a resume, right? And you provide a resume. Oh, my God, this guy's legit. And, but now it's about, you know, your presence and what you have uh, on video. Uh, certainly this, this podcast that you have, obviously people are going to know Yannick, like Yannick's got a podcast. He provides a lot of valuable information that, that provides people with some level of comfort that you know what you're talking about. And so when, when you're, you take that and then you, you present them a deal uh, and they're looking to 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 make some money, and you can show them how that this deal is going to make them money. 
then you then 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 you grow your capital, right? Because people start going in. So you have to invest in a portal and you have all these these tools that get people to basically commit, soft commit to investing in a deal when it comes up. The other way, and this is actually much faster because you're, you're building trust through people that are seeing you and they may not know you at all. But the other way, obviously, a lot of people start in a 506B, we call it. It's a type of syndication where you're talking to friends and family. But, you know, friends and family are going to trust you perhaps, in you know, as a person. But again, they also need to understand that you know what you're talking about. So either way, you have to you have to you have to build the professional trust. It's not just a personal trust. But once you do that, and you, you know, I was, it's funny, I was, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you why, I was, I was uh, having dinner with a friend the other day, and I, and I got a call from an investor, and the investor, and I'm like, oh, this is an investor, and my friend is looking to potentially invest, he's selling a house, and he's like, you know, I may, I may put some of his money to work, because I'm, he's, he was going to go overseas. I said, great, that's perfect, you know, I don't press people, I just say, this is an opportunity, and I invest alongside with you in these opportunities. Uh, but I got the call from this this investor, and he and he, he literally put on the text, "Hey, what is this two hundred seventy six thousand in my account?" Uh, because he had invested some money with me already on some deals, and he thought for whatever reason the money had come back. Well, no, it was actually a a, a distribution from a sale of a property that we we'd held on to for three years in Tampa, and he literally got that money. He invested. Uh, he invested uh, $100,000. He got back almost $300,000. So he got a three X return in three years. And what I, why I say that is not just to brag, but that individual is so happy with that return that he's going to go talk to his buddies and he's going to talk to you know his other family members and he's going to talk to whomever and say, you got to talk to Ray. This, yeah, I just made you know two over two hundred thousand dollars on on my money. I mean, three times the money, right? And so, so that testimonial will build your business more than anything that you can put on, you know, as far as social media and website and whatever, because it's essentially someone that already trusts you that you've already delivered for that then tells somebody else. And you've already, they already trust you when they reach out to you, when that friend reaches out to you, Hey, I just talked to my buddy and he said that, you know, that you, uh, you have some investments. I'd love to do it. Cause they, they already, they already have a testimonial that, that it's successful that you've shown that you can, you can deliver. So that's that's the other way that you are able to really generate uh, a lot of momentum. It's just through word of mouth, which is why the investor piece, the communications is so important, because even if you deliver a return to them, if they got a bad taste in their mouth about the way you you communicated, your lack of communication or whatever during that deal, they may have made two two times on their money, which is normally what we look for you to double people's money in a certain amount of years. But they're going to remember that bad feeling about whatever, right? So, so you have to take care of your investors, and they will they will put the word out for you, and they will grow your business for you because they they're excited about what you've done for them and their family. That's a great story. That's a great story. I'm I'm sure that investor was very excited to get to get that return. I mean, you can't ask for anything more as a syndicator to deliver results like that. So, uh, congrats on on that success. Thank One of the you. things, the thing that that you kept saying over and over was just trust, right? Trust, trust, trust. People are going to invest with you because they trust you, not necessarily the specifics about the deal. And that's important too, you know, the economics of the deal and the fundamentals. And you also do have to educate them. But at the end of the day, people are going to invest with you because of trust. 
They know Ray. They know who, what type of person he is. They know that you are, you have military background, so you have discipline. You know how to lead. You you have the experience. You have all the things that they can trust that you would be able to deliver on the expectations for 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 them, right? Your clients, your investors, and that is that is something that I think is overlooked when people are raising capital. They think about oh, it's about the deal and the numbers have to make sense. And again, that is extremely important. But when you have people who love you, who trust you, man, there's no ceiling for the real estate space. Yeah, I mean, I, ultimately on those numbers, Yannick, you know as well as I do, a, a simple, you know, click, uh, delete, and a change of one number on a spreadsheet, and the deal looks great. So, so while the numbers are good, and you have to do that, and you have to do that analysis, it still boils down to trust that the assumptions that we're using are valid assumptions, and and that we don't, you know, by you know, we don't tweak a number just because we're chasing a deal, right? And so, so that's why that's why the trust is important because essentially. They're still. I mean, they're 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 investing in you because they don't want to do all the work. They they're passive investors. They 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 could put the money in the stock market. They can do whatever whatever they think is the best way that they can get returns. And when we present a way that is a better way to do it, when you start adding all the tax benefits, that's what they're looking for. You don't want to you want to give them a job. It's like with a lot of single family investors. They think it's oh, I want to buy the single family and it's going to take care of itself. No, you just bought yourself a part-time job. You know, you're going to have you're going to asset manage it. You're going to be property managing sometimes when your property manager quits on you if, if you have one. Uh all kinds of things that you you earn you own you own the minute you buy that asset. And so a passive investor doesn't want all that. They're they want to be a passive investor. They want to see returns. They want to see information and they want to they want to you know every every so often get their distributions and then when you sell they get they get the the share of the profit, uh, so yeah, that's a hundred percent true. So, you've been in real estate for quite some time now. You've had a lot of experience scaling your portfolio. Now, if you had to start this marathon all over again, what would you do differently that would contribute to your success? Yeah, great question. I think the biggest thing that that I would do is uh, is get started, get away from in my case single family sooner. For all the reasons that we we talked about, I, I remember, and I, 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 my wife and I talk about this every once in a while. I bought a property um, in in one location when we moved to this this. Uh, it was in uh, it was in in um, where was it Columbus, and we had this property, and essentially it was an investment property. And the next thing you know, I was sent overseas, and I was working in Mexico, and while I was in Mexico. Uh, the problem, and I mentioned this, the property manager quit on us. Um, and it, it was just because the tenant was, a, was difficult and there were some issues and, and the, the property manager was like, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I'm they, gone. They gave you the keys. And, <laughs> yeah. and now all of a sudden I'm like my wife, you know, I'm, I'm working full time, uh, heavily engaged. I'm, you know, these are 12 hour days already for most of us in the military. And I didn't have time to deal with that. So my wife had to deal with it. She was not happy. <laughs> she was not happy about having to deal with that mess. And so, I I wish I would have I would have learned sooner about passively investing, um, because I wouldn't have had those those struggles like you know that where where we were stressed out with everything going on. And if you have a W two job, whether it's military or not, you have your own personal stresses from that job, and you're you're spending 40, 50, 60 hours there uh, doing that. 
the last thing you want, a lot of people want, unless they're really passionate about real estate, is to work real estate. They're just trying to, they're just trying to generate wealth, right? And that's just one of the best ways to do it. And so for me, if I would have made that transition sooner and become a passive investor, it would have been better because not only can can in this in this uh, through multifamily as a passive investor, I can invest wherever I want. I'm not stuck to where I live. It doesn't have to be next to me. It just has to be someplace where the economic conditions are such that it's going to give me the best return, and that the team that I'm partnering with, I've, I've vetted, and is going they're going to do a great job of essentially doing everything and just providing information to me and, and providing distributions. I don't need to take calls about toilets. I don't even need to take calls about, you know, you know, how do we bring in more tenants? They're doing all of that. Uh, and if they're good, they're going to, they're going to ensure that they know that, that I know what they're working through if there are any issues, because I'm okay with that. Things happen, but I want to know, I want to know that they're, they're taking care of it. And so, um, I would tell people, I guess in very short, get out of single family as soon as possible. And if you if you like real estate, you know, maybe you can do it full time, uh, you know, at some point transition over so long as you have a plan. Uh, but if you don't like real estate and you're just trying to generate wealth, then invest where where essentially you're going to make the best returns on your money without the, the additional stress of a part time job that that would come with it in many cases. There can be a lot of headaches in the single family space. And when you jump up into the multifamily space, you get the biggest thing I like to say is more professional management and just people, right? In the single family space, there's a lot of mom and pop management companies, uh, smaller companies that might not have highly trained staff with a plethora of experience in real estate. And when you jump into bigger properties, like you said, you know, you don't have to worry about leasing up properties, the tenants and the, and the toilets and a lot of the minutiae that you have to deal with in the single family space. And so, you know, really great advice if you're able to jump into the multifamily space and, you know, specifically on the passive investing side, too. Uh, I think that's that's really beneficial. I think there's still yields to be made in the single family space, but from a from a return on time perspective, absolutely. Um, bigger deals, multifamily. It's just it's just the way to go. So talk about your book, Bluff, the bottom line up front about passively investing in multifamily properties. You know, where can we find it? And definitely want to want to dive into that and and talk about, you know, how how much value is in the book. Great. Yeah, it's easy to find. You just put B-L-U-F Amazon, it normally pops up uh, on there. So it's pretty easy to find. And all I wanted to do with that book is I wanted to, you know, Tell people a little bit about me, and I wanted to explain to them in a in a very military manner, because in the military we always look at that you know we, we look at uh, at problems from a planning standpoint. So okay, so where are we now, and how do we get to where we need to go? Where wherever that is, that's that's the end state. And so what I wanted to create is a, just a small book that that could show people all of the steps that a passive investor should kind of know. Uh, to before they decide to invest in a particular deal, and it takes them essentially all the way through all the players that are involved on on the on the operator active side uh, to how to vet their operators uh, to some of the, the you know the tax implications involved. I'm, I'm not ta- I'm not a tax expert, but I, I know enough about you know how this helps a lot of business a, a lot of investors uh, uh, essentially get major depreciation on assets through cost segregation. And other ways where you're essentially able to 
to really provide uh, you know some some offsets, large offsets to whatever incomes you you have, generally speaking, through multifamily. And so I, I walk them through that process, um, and uh, and it's it's a very short read, and it's very linear in nature uh, because it's it's just a simple process. Now there are obviously forks that can happen, and there's you know if, if you want to be active, there's there's some other other things that that have to be considered. But at the end of the day, it gives you all of the your basic tools to understand the space. And not only is it good for passive investors, what I tell people is, if you understand what passive investors are looking for, then you can use this book to reverse engineer what you need what you need to do because it's telling you what investors, what passive investors are, are looking for and should be looking for. So you as an operator can use the book to basically figure out how to attract those investors to your deals by making sure that you address all of the things that are important to them. So, so it's it's good for passive investors to kind of get get their mind around you know syndications and, and multifamily investments, and it's also good for operators to to get a better sense of of how to bring capital to bear on their deals. That sounds like a ton of value in that book. Just having that linear step by step process, like you mentioned. I mean, it's 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 phenomenal when you're able to leverage someone like yourself and learn from you and, and things that you've done and your wisdom about how to get to that next step and how to just um, take things on a linear level. So if our listeners want to follow you, want to invest with your company, uh, how can they keep in touch with you, reach out to you to follow your your, your progress and your investments? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Uh, so uh, everything can be found, uh, you know, all my, my social media can be, can be found through my website, mirealestate.us, mirealestate.us. And from there, they can even set up a call with me. I, like I said, if I've got the time, they can click on my calendar and just, you know, carve out 20 minutes where we can talk about what they're trying to do. A lot of times it's other other operators that are trying to get started. It's not just investors, but, and I'm happy to help them. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the easiest way to plug in. That's great. Well, Ray, thank you so much for this show today. I mean, that, it was a ton of knowledge. I'm so excited that you were able to uh, be on the show today. We talked a lot about raising capital, building your team, being able to have that strong foundation when getting into the world of real estate, private equity is just a ton of knowledge and gems in today's show. So thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action and be great today. And remember, real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Run your own race. Thank you, Yannick. I appreciate it, man. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.